All right, Dame. So I'm going to let you choose. You can either start, we can start the show with breaking news that I have to share or something surprising that I learned this week, shocking, dare I say, from a girlfriend. So where do you want to start? Do we get both of these at some point during the show? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could go okay. back to back. I'm just like, how do you want to start this? Breaking news. Who? This is some breaking news. Uh, I am coming out of stand-up comedy retirement <gasps> for one night only. Oh no! In Indianapolis on Friday, December twenty-second at Victory Field. Wow! What an outdoor show on December twenty-second <laughs> on what the indoor at the indoor uh... part. I mean, I might just be in like a hot dog booth. Um. <laughs> I'm hosting a stand-up show with none other than Danny Dunn. Yes, friend of the show. Friend of the show, cousin of the man. Uh, and some, I, and I can't actually say yet, some other local uh, uh, comedy notables uh, that, that I, this is happening. Oh, Tickets man. are on sale possibly today. Probably I'll get you details next week. Um, I'm hosting. I've never hosted a comedy show. I know I've been a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. I've hosted a bazillion things. I've Money never hosted stuff. a comedy show. I, you're going to take to it like a, a duck to water. I just yeah, it. I so. so I, I mean, I, is there any shot it's recorded? Uh, I'm sure Danny will record it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I could probably get that. Uh, the weird thing is. I, I'm not nervous about it. I don't, you know, you know me. I don't, I'm not nervous about it. I also don't know how I'm going to do it or what I'm going to do, but I have confidence that I'll figure it out. And, and possibly, as, as you've learned, I, maybe on the drive to Victory Field, <laughs> I will figure out how I'm going to go about that. I mean, you've got a couple things going in your favor. You already know where you're going to park. So you exactly. don't have to stress about that. I thought about that immediately when I found yeah. out where it was going to be. Plenty of parking. Plenty of parking. Uh, I, I mean that one of my other questions was, are you going to go with some tried and true bits or are you going to try and work up some new material? All new material, man. You can, I can't, oh, Come on. Man. What, what challenge is that? I mean, what, what fun is it to go back to things that always get laughs? I'd rather try something new. Yeah. I mean, the people you're introducing wouldn't want you to just set them up for you know, with a great crowd, they they want you to go up there and stink it up a little bit before they step on stage and get people in a little rough mood. I did think of that. Like the actual job <laughs> of the host is is everyone's a warm up for the the headliner theoretically, sure. mm -hmm. but the host really is a warm up for everyone. So mm -hmm. there's a little bit of pressure there, but I don't I don't care. Danny, if uh, if you're watching and you're he's not. not. Uh, I would love for you to uh, check in with your cousin and make sure that he's going to do exactly what you want him to do. Uh, one last note on this before I move on. Uh, there is at least one very, very notable comedian uh, here locally that people know of. Uh, an internet sensation, uh, so, social media sensation, if you want, possibly too, but I can't say who they are yet. Which yeah. I think is sort of weird. I, I think that's part of the thing, but I don't. I'm not here to argue. I just I'm not supposed to say it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not the one that most people are probably thinking of uh, right now. The one that is it's not that incredibly one. hot right no, now. No, it's not that one. Yeah. Although I've been on a bill with him. You have? Yes. Wait, who are you thinking? Matt Reif? No, I said local. I know. I, the, I Some people don't understand where he's from, and they just know Midwest. So Where's he from? Sure. Uh, just outside of Columbus, Ohio. I mean, it, uh, no, actually, it's uh closer to the the western border, close to Indiana Ohio border. No, not him. Yeah. Uh, do you want the shocking thing I found out from a girlfriend this week? Uh, yeah, because the the term girlfriend threw me for a loop for a second. But so yes, I you need to follow through with this. But we've we've talked in we have in yes. previous shows how yeah. silly that is that yeah. I can't say girlfriend. I know this person is a girlfriend of mine, but simply a friend. Who happens to be a girl? She is about 10 years my younger, which, by the way, I turned 46 this week. That was fun. Welcome. Did you say congrats? Were you going to go with I was going to say congratulations, <laughs> but then I was like, welcome. I mean, here we are. She told me that when she was in college and she was in a sorority, when the freshman girls joined the sorority, 
there was a PowerPoint presentation with guys' photos of who to avoid and watch yourself safety around. And that blew my mind that there's like somehow a digital footprint of of that. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's great. It's 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 appropriate, sadly, but also <laughs> arguably bad. Were they stock photos or like just out on the quad one day taking pictures of random guys walking by? That's a great question. Like she told me this and I can't stop thinking about it. What? I, mean, I, would, I, I would like to think, first of all, Mrs. Planner and I dated all through college. So I never right. would have been on one of these lists. And yes. by the way, had I been on one of these lists while dating Miss Planner, that would be very bad. But can you imagine being on one of these lists, these PowerPoints? No, I, <laughs> no, it's wild. This is it just going to be for like, uh, what would you be on that list for? I, in, yes. you know, like, like <laughs> uh, uncomfortable jokes. Yeah, exactly. That's was like, uh, um, uh, yeah, he will make you lose your appetite by merely looking at him. Well, uh, have some benefits. So. You want to do a financial show? Well, it's what the people are expecting. I know. Whatever. Let's let's give them what they want. I I actually had somebody compliment us uh, just oh. last night. They they uh, <laughs> they they hadn't listened to the show in a while, which who can blame them? But uh, they, they were always uh, impressed with the quality of the show. Uh, so they're they're actually older than me and oh. you. Whoa. Yeah. Um, between the next two segments, uh, I have what I believe to be one of the funniest jokes I've ever delivered in a live audience. It happened on Tuesday night, and I want to share that with you. Did I, I told you, right? You told me, and it is fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so I will share it again to everyone here, but let's get a segment down. Are you ready to go? And waiting. <clears throat> Three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete. At PeteThePlanner.com. That's AskPete at PeteThePlanner.com, and we will answer your questions. Oddly enough, today, one of our segments are, it are, one of our segments is, uh, what questions should you be asking about your financial life but aren't? That's what I meant to say. By we, I mean Damien, Don, and I. Hello, Dame. Good day, Pete. We haven't spoken of Kristen's absence uh, yet today. She's under the weather, so uh, we are a above the weather so we're here she's not we'll see her next week get well dame uh we're gonna do a couple things today we're gonna do uh things you you should be asking about your financial life but aren't but then we also kind of wanted to do a little tribute to uh an icon of investing who passed away at the ripe age of 99 years old this week none other than charlie munger charles thomas munger known as warren buffett's BFF is his partner. Like what, what, what do we call him is his partner, right? Just call him a financial genius is what I call him. He is a financial genius. Some facts to know about him. He's led investments at Berkshire Hathaway for decades. He was married twice, both to a woman named Nancy, which I just thought was interesting. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, he has a lot of substance too, which we're going to cover now. And Dame has put together iconic Charlie Munger quotes that we are going to react to. Did I did I represent the segment well? Yeah, it's it's fair. I mean, one of the things that uh, Warren Buffett's known for is his annual shareholder letter. But Charlie Munger has had some amazing quotes. Some of them a little on the nose uh, over the the years, but it gives us something to think about. And the first one I'm going to read, Pete, uh, is going to potentially be a challenge for us because it might stand in the face of some common advice that we give regularly. So I think it will be a, uh, an interesting reaction for us to see, see what we do with it. Quote, I think that the modern investor to get ahead almost has to get a few stocks that are way above average. They try and have a few apples and Googles or so on just to keep up because they know that a significant percentage of all the gains that come to all the common share uh, stockholders combined is going to come from a few of these super competitors. That was said in 2023 hmm. in a Wall Street Journal interview. So Charlie Munger, 
advocating for not just buying the index, but having a few specific home runs for the average investor to get ahead. Pete? I'm, I might out myself with this incredibly dumb question or thought. Okay. It's a question slash thought. Both could be dumb. Okay, so when he talks about the modern investor, it's hard to say if he's talking about a modern retail investor or an institutional investor because it's, you know, we advocate for um, index funds or, you know, mm -hmm. and it's quite possible that he's actually talking about Berkshire Hathaway himself, it, itself, as opposed to you and me, who he wouldn't he rather just see us invest in Berkshire Hathaway? Like, do you see my <laughs> distinction yeah, there? That's that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's under any illusion that people aren't just going to make uh, their portfolio a three holding portfolio with Berkshire being the cornerstone. Uh, and he realizes that people are going to do what they want. And he's, uh, in my opinion, he's addressing the average Joe here who's who's trying to prepare for whatever financial goal, most likely retirement, uh, that they are chasing by investing. It is worth noting, as Chris points out on the Facebook Live uh, broadcast that we've got going right now, that uh, this is also your stock pick of the year, uh, or has been. Uh, has been, not, th not this year, last year. All right. What what else did uh, Mr. Munger offer us in his 99 years? Well, there are huge advantages for an individual to get into a position where you make a few great investments and just sit on your butt. You're paying less to brokers. You're listening to less nonsense. And if it works, the governmental tax system gives you an extra one, two or three percentage points per annum compounded. This seems so consistent with the last piece of advice. And I, here's the thread I'm sensing. Um, it's, it's assuming a person is doing their own investing yet. I don't think he would really want the average Joe executing on this advice. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, I don't know if he advocated for overly complex investing strategies. I mean, obviously what Brookshire did was very detailed and very into the weeds on that, but he, he, um, he really wanted to push the investing strategy of Brookshire Hathaway to buying really, really nice companies at, um, reasonable prices versus what I, what I've, what I understand Warren Buffett's, um, perspective was at the beginning was to i think they called them cigarette uh, cigar butt companies uh you're buying the stuff that nobody wanted it being a huge contrarian and, and waiting for them to to come back into favor and, and really appreciate so i you know trying to you know, discern between those two can be challenging at some times but for the average investor i don't know what what his feel was I, I know that he was certainly against some certain things which i may have a quote on. yes i do have a quote on later uh but i don't know how complex he thought the average investor should get with his yeah, I, he's not a john boggle for by any stretch you and i are tracking because the reason i bring that up is because of how he felt about cryptocurrency and robin hood um and, and i know you're getting there but i will start with uh he thought Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies were noxious poison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that it was beneath contempt, stupid, immoral, and disgusting. So maybe Charlie Munger and I uh, yeah. would have had a great time at a party at drinking like gin-soaked raisins or something. And Metamucil, who knows? Uh, I, the quote that I had pulled for crypto is a cryptocurrency is not a currency, not a commodity, and not a security. Instead, it's a gambling contract with nearly 100% edge for the house entered into a uh, country where gambling contracts are traditionally regulated only by states that compete in laxity. Uh, Doug, if you're listening to this, I apologize. I should have told you to plug your ears before we got into the crypto section of uh, Charlie Munger. He goes on to say, quote, it's like somebody else is trading turds and you decide <laughs> I can't be left out. It's akin to a venereal disease. <laughs> this is 99-year-old Charlie Munger in the yeah. last few years just dropping bombs to the average investor. He, I mean, he is always known for sort of his wit and wisdom and mm -hmm. his quirky way of delivering uh, uh, hard truths, I guess. 
Yeah. Uh, a couple, uh, if we want to shift away from the investing side of things into the more uh, everyday life, uh, life advice from Charlie Munger, <laughs> hold on to your seats, I guess. Be prepared for anything at this point. Uh, in my whole life, I've known no wise people over a broad subject matter area who didn't read all the time. None. Zero. You'd be amazed at how much Warren reads and how much I read. My children laugh at me. They think I'm a book with a couple of legs sticking out. Man, I uh, that resonates. <laughs> that resonates with me. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm at a point in my life where I'm reading a lot right now. And I remember when I part of my career when I thought I knew a lot more than I actually did is when I wasn't actually reading. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I was cockier and more self-assured about what I knew when I wasn't reading than I am now. And I read nonstop. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting wisdom there. Yep. Uh, and last one I'll squeeze in, uh, acquire worldly wisdom and adjust your behavior accordingly. If your new behavior gives you a little temporary unpopularity with your peer group, then to hell with them. Well said. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Charlie Munger. Uh, thank you for your wisdom over the years. And uh, Dan, we'll do this coming up after the break. Let's talk about questions that people should be asking of their financial lives, but just don't even know to to do that. It's, it's you don't know what you don't know, and you don't yep. know what you should be asking. And that is next, right here on the Pete the Planner Show. Um, Pete the Planner. Uh, I was reading some additional munger quotes this morning that you actually can't say on the radio oh no yeah you, I mean, there's I a to, lot i had to pick through some stuff did you happen to see his take on ebitda and like people who talk about ebitda and all of that I didn't see that one. Oh lord no but it, <laughs> i do i want to see it now uh eric asks can we just have a whole show of these incredible put downs of crypto <laughs> <laughs> special segment uh, Dame in crypto and alternative investment news this week, uh, and maybe hopefully I don't burn your news here. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo sued for one billion dollars for his role in NFT promotion. Uh, <laughs> oh man, good thing he has a billion dollar soccer contract. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, who could have possibly foreseen NFTs not working out? Who knows? All right. So <clears throat> I'm speaking on Tuesday night to a few hundred people at a, oh, I don't want to get too specific, but a, a, a group of people who work at the administrative level at churches all across mm -hmm. the country. Is that good? Yeah, I think it's fair. And I don't even, and not just like a, a church building, but like a church organization, like yes. the, the heads of whatever. So I'm speaking there. And my role at this thing is is to actually be the dinner entertainment. I was it was like dinner and a show, and I'm the show, which <laughs> whatever. So uh, I'm up there, I'm doing some things. People are giggling a little bit, and I'm in the midst of talking, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, because that's how they work, someone sneezed, right? So I hear it, and I just freeze. I stop mid word. I freeze, and there's silence. And I simply said, you think of all the rooms of which someone might say, God bless you, would be this room. Yet, no. shame on all of you. <laughs> it was really, uh, and it was funny. It was like in the retelling of it's not that funny. But it, in the moment, it was really funny. It was great. It's, uh, you can understand if you put yourself, imagine yourself in that moment, in that environment, in that context. It makes it's, it's a great joke. Very aware. Uh, no, very. I, I as a hey, look when uh, when you're when you're on stage, you got a microphone, you got to use whatever's happening. It just makes for a better show. Better show. Sure. Okay, let's do. Um, did I send a question to you? Um, no, there was no question attached. Mm -hmm. It was just an example. Okay. All right. Ju ju just the the concept. I'm sorry. Okay. So I think we're good. I think we're good. All the same. Okay. Hello, Andy. Hello, Brian, P Brian Pinkins. Hello, David Noble. Hello, Big Rick Swink. Uh, Chris says hello. Danza, good day. Rochelle, hello. That covers the squad. All right. Let's get going in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Damien Dunn joins me. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. 
you're coming off of vacay refreshed huh yeah it was fantastic beautiful weather uh uh, very very slow pace where we were at so we were able to just uh, sit back relax and not worry about anything for about seven days Did you go to the beach when you were there yeah sure did I, every single day what's your move on the beach as an older man like me are you a long sleeve sun shirt fella or are you just like stripping it down and letting people see the vessel that is you no uh, there's a long sleeve shirt that never uh, it comes off of my body between the time I leave the room and get back to the room. Okay, great, me too. Uh, Dame, I I have convinced myself of something recently, and, and it's sort of, it's not a hot take, but it is definitely a take. Mm -hmm. And it's that people, if, if, if you rely on people to be inquisitive about their financial lives, to solve the issues of their financial lives that the only outcome will be failure. And it's, and it's based on this. People don't know what they should be asking. So if you, if it's just like, okay, Hey, I'm going to wait until someone comes and asks me a question. Uh, a, they may never come because they don't know what to ask or B when they start to dig in, they don't even know where to begin. And so I, what I think is as a financial professional, our role, our, our company, you and your team, like it is to give people a forum to be led in a conversation. Now mm -hmm. we can answer questions. I've just found in doing this for so long that there's actually not that many good pertinent questions to ask because people don't know what to ask. People are like, Hey, I want to be better financially. What do I do? That's not really a question, mm -hmm. right? So, Dane, what you and I did is we took some time to, to say, what are actually good questions to ask someone about their financial life? And so uh, we're going to go back and forth over the next couple segments sure. and sort of explore these and talk about what you think they're good. You, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, and I, I think, by the way, before we jump into this... Uh, this is a great trait for your financial advisor to have. Uh, the, I think the days of uh, the advisor sitting there ingesting all of the information and then specifically just telling you what to do, uh, while that can be valuable, there's more value uh, and um, progress made when you hire a thinking partner through a lot of these things where you can uh, just toss ideas back and forth and come to a conclusion based off of the facts of the matter, your specific personality and circumstances and have a clear way forward and somebody that's going to support you in that. So uh, if you are in the process of either evaluating potential financial planners or working with somebody, keep that in the back of your mind, make sure that they are, uh, that it's a conversation between the two of you and not just uh, a, a one way uh, you, you put uh, all the information in, you get information out and that's the end of it. So and if, anyway, if, if people choose not to use the questions that we're going to talk about today, the other element of this uh, to what you just said, Dame is, if you're interviewing financial advisors, say, look, I don't know what to ask, mm. I but I need to get my sure. stuff together. Just take me through it. And they're like, well, it depends what you want. And, and like if they if they get stuck on that, well, what do you need to know? Move on. That yeah. ain't him. That ain't her. Yeah. Like it's um, I'll put it this way and then let's get to the questions. But <laughs> if the average person is just living life, you know, they're just they got expenses, they got some income they definitely are going to experience financial discomfort from time to time. Mm -hmm. It's often a cash flow issue, but there's a lot of reasons around it. People don't know how to form the words to ask the question to change that reality. Because you just don't go, oh, things are hard. What I do, you know, like what you don't know how to ask the question. So today we ask those questions. Dame, you're first. Am I benchmarking appropriately? See, this is a good one. This is a good one. People don't know to ask that. So, Dane, what ends up happening is we have... <laughs> Should we tell on ourselves? A yeah, little, I, I was 100% going to use this. It, it just Go yesterday, ahead. Pete and I were having this conversation about, hey, did you look at what your 401k has returned? Now, based on the company that we use for 401k uh, here at Your Money Line and knowing that he and I are roughly allocated the same with, with our, our choices... Uh, 
we were both a little surprised when we looked and saw what the year-to-date return has been. Now, truth be told, Pete, if we said that the average that we expected, if we could lock in 8% a year going forward, you and I would be happy. And right. we're, we're doing better than that. But we were benchmarking against the S&P 500, which is up, well, yesterday it was 20-ish percent uh, for year-to-date. We are... Do you want to say yeah, about, about half that, about half that a little more than half of that is, is where we were at for year to date. Now, both of those things are completely true, but we are in a diversified portfolio that is us based international has some, but not a ton of bond exposure as well. And we're comparing our returns against the S and P 500, which is just doing phenomenal this year. And if you compare any of the other indexes, they're not keeping up to the S&P 500, largely because of seven companies, by the way. But that's not an appropriate benchmark for our portfolios that we're invested in. And if you are uh, you know, looking at your returns on your statements every year, saying, well, I listen to the news and the S&P 500 is up 20%. Why am I only doing 10 or 12 or whatever it may be? There's a very reasonable answer for that, I promise. You're just using the wrong benchmark. And this is a very narrow application of the question. The, the weird thing is, you and I know this. We know better. Sure. But, but the second... I, I sent you a pretty vanilla prompt uh, to, to bring this up yesterday. And you honed in on exactly what I stupidly honed in on was how much it felt like it underperformed the S&P. And... You and I know better. You and I know better that there's some sort of blended basket that makes more sense for us to to benchmark mm -hmm. to. But I, I, if you and I, let's say we struggle, let's use the verb struggle with that. I mean, the average Joe is really going to not have the context there. Absolutely, and that's what turns into you know when if if the average indices are coming back at between eight and ten percent, the average investor return is two to three percent. It's because they they see this information, they go out and they make changes based on emotion and not long term investing planning, and frankly, probably having the appropriate benchmarks. There's no reason to base your returns or your happiness with your returns off the S and P five hundred if you're in a sixty forty portfolio. That's silly. All right. My question is, how does the amount I spend on housing impact my ability to execute on my financial plan? So how much do I spend? How much does uh, what I spend on housing yep. impact my ability to execute on my financial plan? Dame, you know, I am of the belief that people will get themselves into a housing situation and fight and scrap for the house and in turn turn their back on their financial plan yeah uh, over housing uh, i believe you were the person that introduced me to that that phrase a uh, number of years ago is a very real issue now obviously there are challenges uh, that are uh, regional uh, around the country that that come to housing in, in different situations but budgets can change accordingly in some of those areas as well so if you uh, chase that that american dream and try and have that house uh, you may be <laughs> accidentally cutting yourself off at the knees at trying to accomplish and have that stable life that you really desire. The house may represent it, but it may not give you the, the end result. Yeah. I think people they'll, they'll set a long-term goal, but then they'll say, no matter what the output uh, I need to do in order to, to achieve that goal, I'm still going to make this fundamental error in my housing decision and those two things actually don't fit together, which is why it's a question you should be asking. So, Dame, let's do yeah. this. We got through two. We've explained the concept, and there's a lot more questions you should be asking. So we're after the break, we'll come back, do more of that right here on the Pete the Planner show. I am Pete the Planner. Stopping the segments a little early today because I just want more Johnny Cougar. More Mellencamp I mean? for the people. Absolutely. People love the Mellencamp. Dame, I try not to weigh in too much on other people's money, which just sounds like a ridiculous thing to say because that's all I ever do. <laughs> but I mean like a specific person's money, like a that's specific yeah. public figure. I just try yeah. to like, now I, I will say what we tend to do is when it comes to our politicians and our government leaders, we are, we are highly critical of, mm -hmm. of their financial lives. Here's where I'm struggling. And I'm going to regret this. Gee, many Christmas. I'm going to regret this. You know, 
let's just go let's just go broader let's go broader <laughs> uh college football coach buyouts okay are nuts yeah for so many reasons and and i'll go just two quick ones there's been two massive stories in the last week and a half or in this world over two weeks or whatever who cares tens of millions tens of millions of dollars to, to stop coaching and good it's a contract the person is you know that's the market value for them uh, great but man if you bring in some other context into that situation of the old argument of there isn't enough money within the system to pay athletes yet you can pay a coach tens of millions of dollars to not work there anymore uh that's a hard argument well, I mean, where's the, where's the money coming from to to you know expedite the removal of that coach? It's coming from boosters. Uh, the boosters are also the ones paying the athletes now, and I mean, and they're they're finding creative ways to do that. So, yes, uh, absolutely, there there is plenty of money in the system to be had. It just highlights the ridiculousness of the situation. I mean. Slight twist on this conversation. Yeah. Pete, can you imagine being paid millions of dollars not to work? Yeah, I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, because somebody was so upset with your oh. performance that they said, here's $10 million, go away. I don't ever, and turn in your, your, uh, your hoodie on your way out the door. I also say with the gout getting into the details to that same question. In some of these instances, by waiting a month or 45 days or 60 days, they lessen the burden of what the payout is. Yet with the season being bad anyway, because that's mm -hmm. the whole point of letting the person go, and the feeling of getting a jump on whoever the next coach is, it's not worth 60 days and the millions and millions of dollars saved on like so that that shocks me too yeah i it is a world with which i will never be familiar with okay um back to questions that you should be asking but you really don't know to do that right i believe that's what we are talking about okay coming back three two one back on the pete the planner show here's what we're covering right now so thanks for listening i guess that seemed insincere dame did that sound insincere nah because it was. Um, we're talking about questions you should be asking about your financial life, but you just don't know to ask. Now, I, I, damn, I have to, to note, oftentimes in a professional setting, when I'm trying to learn uh, what's going on, whether it's just be like a, a negotiation or someone selling me their services, I, I tend to, at the end, ask the question, is there a question I am not asking, which makes you feel as though I do not understand what's going on here? Mm-hmm. I love that question. I ask it probably three times a day. You get some pretty amazing answers to that question. Um, but in a personal finance sense, I, I think people even stop short of that and they just, they, they don't even know. So next up for you, what is a question that people should be asking they just don't know to? What is the emotional impact of my spending habits? Ooh, ooh so go it again slower. What is the emotional impact of my spending habits? Mm. Oh, that's a really good one. No one are, would know to ask that. Yeah. What are you buying with, with your spending? Uh, not only physically, but emotionally as well. And, and what, what is the, what are the ramifications of that spending? Because we're all familiar with, you know, the, the ups and the downs of the balance in your checking account and the balance on your credit card. But, but what are the ramifications of the spending on the the emotional the person themselves the psyche because uh, I read a book uh, and I'm going to completely space and if Kristen were here she would tell me the title of it and the author but the one of the posits in that book was we've all talked about wants and needs there are no wants everything is a need but what you are buying may not actually be filling that need there may be other circumstances around that purchase that's the need that needs filled, not the actual thing that you're spending money on. Ooh, I've never heard you guys talk about that one. Really? No. Either that or I didn't listen. Yeah, well. Um, 
so this is interesting too because it it, it is uh, on the track of my next one, mm-hmm. which is I have a pay increase coming up of five percent. Mm-hmm. How can I prevent that raise from making retirement more difficult? Harder, yeah, and. I don't think people think in those binary terms when they get a pay raise because you're, you're, it is never even, it is either this raise improved uh, the ease of which you will be able to retire or it made it more difficult. It is never a non-factor. And when you think about it through that, <laughs> through that lens, it's sort of shocking and alarmist, you know? Yeah, it's uh, actually is very, very similar to one of the questions I had, which is what is the long term impact of my current lifestyle on my future finances? Yeah, which also begs one that I like. (laughs) This is back and forth. This is fun. (laughs) I like um, at what point in time will I need less money? Mm. Because that that's that's the goal. Yeah is not to have more money because you're going to in default need more money. It's how do you design your life financially? So you will, you will need less money. Yeah. I mean, you're, those, those five years prior to retirement and five years after the, the retirement is declared, whatever you want to call it, that's going to look different for almost every person. Uh, how much money do you need five years before to the five years after. And uh, ideally, I mean, we could create a list of ideal scenario for, for somebody who is in retirement or entering or just beyond retirement, but it's going to look different. And the key for you, if you're doing any sort of planning is to figure out when those big things roll off, how much money are you really going to need? Because that's going to help you determine how quickly do you have to burn through your resources? Sure, you're going to have Social Security. Maybe if you're lucky, you're going to have a pension, but the rest of it's going to probably be funded by you and whether that's part-time work or savings. And how are you going to fill that gap? And if you can determine how much money you're going to need and when, it gets a heck of a lot easier to figure this out. And it's it's not an easy question to answer because there are so many variables, especially when you're planning for something five, 10 years down the road. We just don't know but we have to make a reasonable guess at it so you can plan accordingly. One uh, oh, breaking news on the Sandra Day O'Connor just passed away. Really? The, uh, sup- well, former Supreme Court justice. And Hoosier. Uh, yeah, just breaking news. Sorry to break it to you, unless you're listening on the podcast, but uh, yeah. on the live stream, sorry. Yeah, or radio on Sunday, which they may <laughs> have news in between our, yeah. Possibly. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, she's in her nineties. Is that the third? I mean, there was Henry Kissinger, Charlie Munger, Sandra Day O'Connor. Do you believe in the death in threes thing? I try not to think about it, but if you do, then we'll say, yes, it was the third and we can move on. Cause that's then it's not me. I start another you're, third. You're not in your nineties though. If we have a string of people in their forties, you've got my attention. I have the hairline of a man in his nineties back to the show, Dame. Uh, what about, and this, this is a bit sort of a cute turn of phrase. And you and I were talking about this before the show. Uh, to what degree, this is the question you should be asking. To what degree are my liabilities actually an asset? To what degree mm. are the liabilities that I have actually an asset? And it's a, you don't know to ask it. But there's two outcomes here that I commonly have seen. Number one. A person believes their liabilities to be an asset and they are wrong. Or someone doesn't understand that the liability that they have is an asset. And and in both circumstances, mistakes can be made that can really blow up a beautiful asset and or put value towards something that is not a good asset. We just talked about this before the show started uh, about uh, the situation with uh, some, some business debt. Didn't we? Because it's it's a liability, but it's a huge asset as well. Now we're not talking about our your money line business. Yeah. We're talking about a, a separate business. But in that particular case, that debt is actually a huge asset because of some of the the, the terms around it. So yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, because I, I even think about my own mortgage is at two and a half percent. Yeah. Ten year mortgage yeah. at two and a half percent. Like 
it's strange for me from a financial planning perspective because I want that thing paid off prior to my kids going to college for the cash flow mm -hmm. flexibility. But at the same time, if I got too aggressive with it, I, I'd be better off just from a simple arbitrage standpoint of, of investing it and then just paying the two and a half percent as long as necessary. Yeah, uh, entirely true. I, I mean, that's one of those situations where you and I look at it and it, I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong answer to either of those approaches. Uh, you, you can fall back into math and trying to you know, get down to a very technical answer, but so many of these things are going to be uh, very individual specific on, on what the right path forward is, which gets back to uh, talking to your trusted financial resource or guide or Sherpa or whoever it may be to, uh, to make sure you're on the right path. I believe you're next in the speed round of questions you should ask. Am I? And this, this is one that I think people are aware of, but they either ignore or don't put the weight behind it that they should. Am I adequately protecting my assets and income? Am I protecting my assets? Am, and I, am I adequately protecting my assets? Insurance, basically. Are, are you insured appropriately? Nobody likes to think about insurance or pay the premiums because you're literally paying for something you hope you never, ever, ever use. But it's so important. Okay, so if I may, and with a minute left, what percentage of people ask an appropriate party do I have enough life insurance? What percentage of people ask an appropriate expert or party the simple question, do I have enough life insurance? That's a great question. I, I, less than 10%. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, it's, I was a single digits. I just don't know. Because I they may know. think it, they may posit it, because you said it, with a yeah. friend at, at getting tacos, but they're not actually going to go to anyone that, that can do something about it and solve but it. it and people who get that that comfort of well I've got coverage through work and they 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 just never go forward because they've checked the box I've got some life insurance and it's probably nowhere close to what you need. Speaking of something nowhere close to what you need, coming up next, biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. I'm running them short this week. I just like people want to hear Mellencamp. small town, you know. Pink houses. Pink houses for you and me. Uh, I've met a boyhood hero of mine on Tuesday morning. It, the, you're waiting till the next to next to last segment to tell us this. Sorry, I you know a lot going on. I I got to go up and and, and like we talked for a while, um, just based on the circumstances of what was going on. But it was really neat. I got to like tell him. Tell him I used to, you know, watch him. It was uh, Bill Brooks, former Indianapolis Colts wide receiver, great mm -hmm. number eighty. Bill Brooks. We were, I was at a thing, and he was there, and we we're talking, and I was just like, "Man, can I just tell you?" And I know I'm not trying to make you feel old, <laughs> but, um, but I'm gonna. It was really cool. I mean, what's the old? They never meet your heroes or anything like yeah. that. Um, yeah. I, I get that, but he, man, a, a, and a through z. That guy is a class act. And I think that's why even as a kid, you kind of could figure out, I was like, man, this guy, he's a great human. He was just, it was really cool. So I got to tell him. Uh, what's uh, what's the chance that you could lock him down on a, a couple different routes right now if you were to line up against him? <laughs> Dude, I'm old. I turned 46. <laughs> I feel, I mean, he's old. I mean, he's got to be, I don't even know. So let's look him up. Let's look so. him up. <laughs> All right. So uh, he, no, he's, he looks like he's in great shape. He's small too. I mean, with all due respect, let's see how old he is. He's 59. Oh my gosh. What, uh, what level of college athletics do you think somebody like Jerry Rice or Randy Moss would have to play on to be the best receiver in the league? I don't understand the question. So if 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 Randy Moss or Jerry Rice were to get back into playing football, okay, they, clearly they're not going to be the best in the NFL, right? What level of college oh. athletics would they play? Division one, Division two, NAIA, JUCO. Gotcha. What level would they have to play at to be? Let's just say the top five percent receivers in the league. So I don't know enough about college football, but I will say this: that I know there are power conferences. Yes, I think, I think guaranteed. 
right below the power conferences, I think they could do it. But I don't know enough about college football. I don't either. Yeah. I, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. Interesting. But if you're saying as their current age. Right, right now. now. Right yeah. now. Put the pads back on and go. What was the old uh, Larry Bird thing? People would say, well, like, uh, who's better, you or LeBron James? And he said, uh, I think I could take him. But then again, I'm 60, right? Like, like he yeah. would take him at the yeah. current age. Like something. Yeah. Nice to butcher someone's funny joke. Okay. Um, I think I like, I think I kind of like the bomb this week. Kind like of. you would potentially consider buying it? Oh, no. I mean, I kind of like the, the, uh, the bit, you know, like yeah. I, 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 yeah. Sometimes right, they're well, good. Sometimes they're bad. Prepare, prepare to be underwhelmed, everybody. I will say, great friend of the show, Gordon McElroy, sent me, you know, old Gordo. Absolutely. Guys, legend. I love that, man. Yes. Kind. You want to talk about kind people. Gordon sent me an email um, with a biggest waste of money of the week candidate. And there just wasn't good enough copy. And I would have had to write the copy. Yeah. But it was a Mont Blanc pen, like a writing instrument. Yeah. They had like a, some diamonds. And it was $140,000 for a pen. For something you know you'd lose in oh, two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Mr. Grip pens? Um, I remember the name. I don't remember. Were they the triangle grip pens? Kinda. Um, they were they just like a thicker grip, and they were if you had arthritis or you had terrible mm -hmm. handwriting. And so I had, as as you well know, <laughs> I have terrible handwriting. And so I at one point I switched to the Mr. Grip, uh, which was not one hundred forty thousand bucks. Oh, Doctor Grip. Rick says it's Doctor Grip. I, uh, I I made a very unfortunate discovery when my kids were younger. You know, when uh, when your kids are just getting into school, uh, did they have your kids buy those really fat pencils? Yes. For, uh, I I used big one bone of those one day. Big bone. Pencils. Yeah, big bone pencils. Uh, and my handwriting never looked better hmm. than using one of those large pencils. Uh, and the the lead's a little bit bigger as well. So um, I sure. apparently have the needs of a five year old for writing. By the way, I would like to, I've often said on the show at various times in my life, I'm so fearful that I'm going to have to make a public apology. And I feel like I'm here right now in this oh, moment. Okay. I'd like to apologize for Dr. Grip for ignoring his time in medical school. Yeah. And like well, I, I, I called him Mr. Grip. What if Dr. Grip's a woman? Oh, that's even worse. Now, now <laughs> I've got to apologize for that. Gee, many Christmas. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, flustered. Uh, do you ever talk like Mickey Mouse at home and see what your wife thinks? No. no. I don't either. I do sometimes. <laughs> I do. I'm 100% sure you do. <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> she really doesn't like me. Oh. That's an easy transition into the old guy voice, though. If... Oh, that's true. If I got home one day and my wife, my, my love, my wife, she's the best. But if I got home one day and she was like, I'm really tired of you. Like, I'm so annoyed with you. I got to go. I'll understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll get it. I know I'm annoying and I don't try to be annoying. It just happens a lot. Just, just why can't she accept you for who you are? What some people might find fun for 57 An hour. minutes every week. <laughs> Imagine working uh, a few hours a day or 24 years of marriage. Okay, here we go. She's a long-distance runner, spends lots of time training, you say. She's like, I'm going to go out for a run. I'm like, oh, when will I see you? She's like, Tuesday. <laughs> she's getting, the, the more time we spend together, the more she's getting into like ultra marathon. Ultra, yeah. <laughs> she's like, hey, I'm running to Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> okay here we go no oh, she also hates when i talk about her on the show so she'll never know double whammy all right in three two i don't know it's gonna take a second uh oops that's not it here we go three <laughs> two one this week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the pizza planner show is the impossible collection of whiskey. 
Whiskey is considered by many to be the finest spirit known to man, other than Casper the Friendly Ghost. Right. And this book might be the best way to experience it outside of sipping, written by best-selling spirits writer and whiskey expert Clay Risen. The book unpacks the spirit's history through some of the most famous distilleries in the world, along with the finest bottles they've ever produced. From peaty scotch created in the Scottish Highlands to Kentucky's finest bourbon, Risen selects 100 amazing whiskeys from a wide variety of makers. You'll find American classics like Pappy Van Winkle alongside bottles like Middleton Very Rare 45, as well as some of the best kept secrets in the world of whiskey from India and the Czech Republic. The impossible collection arrives in a wrought iron trimmed wood box inspired by authentic whiskey barrels, which is in itself a collector's item. All right, Dame, this is a 212 page book about rare whiskey. What do you think it costs? Too much first, uh, which is obviously the theme of this segment. Uh, I will 212 pages. Uh, what's the mash bill of, of the, the book? Um, the pulp bill. Yeah. Um, 250 bucks. All right. Uh, in the spirit of our fine, fine friend, Kristen, who's not feeling well today. <laughs> What would what would she have guessed? You get to uh, guess what she would have guessed. Uh, 150 bucks. Okay. The answer is $1,200 for a book about rare whiskeys. <sighs> Here's the dumb thing. Actually, it's not dumb. For 1200 bucks, you could get a bottle of Pappy. Well, yeah, I was there's. This is just a coffee table book. I like right? okay. I mean, I know you're you're not a big you and you don't dislike bourbon and whiskey, no. right? Is it I mean, has it got coupon pages that you can tear out in the back as you visit the distilleries and get a discount? No, nah, but, but like would you rather have a bottle of Pappy or a book that has a picture of Pappy? I could go take a tour of the distillery and hear all the stories that that's probably are contained in this book, and then yeah, it's I'd rather have the bottle or multiple bottles of stuff that's a little less expensive than Pappy. Uh, Dane, what's in the news this week? Nothing that depressing. <laughs> uh, some people think money can buy happiness. Millennials say they need $525,000 a year to achieve financial happiness, which is among the highest of all generations, according to an Empower survey conducted by the Harris Poll, millennials, the generation roughly born between 1981 and 1996, far outpaced the other generations with their salary desires. That was more than triple that of Gen X, which had the next highest salary needs. The median weekly earnings for a U.S. worker are, Pete, guessing game, median earnings, weekly earnings for a U.S. worker. Oh, oh boy, this is going to really hurt. Thousand dollars, thousand fifty nine. Oh, thousand fifty nine. Very well done. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, which is uh, just over fifty five thousand dollars for those of you playing at home for the entire year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That means millennials, at least according to the survey, say they need nearly ten times the median salary to achieve financial happiness. And other generations say they need more than double the median amount millennials are also which i think this is interesting are millennials are also at the prime age for several major financial decisions such as purchasing a home having kids uh, which could be related to their relatively relatively higher salary demands for financial happiness respondents define happiness in a variety of ways including paying bills on time living debt free affording everyday luxuries without worry and owning a home I'm trying to think how to react to this. And I, I keep just coming back. To, it kind of makes me sad. Like yes. I, I could get mad and be like, You're so but I'm just like, that's sad. That's really yeah. sad. Yeah. I, that they feel like that, that that's what it's going to take for them to achieve financial happiness. So if, if they're just looking at buying a house for the first time and seeing things go nuts, uh, like they have over the last three years and paying bills and college loans and all that, I, I could, it's very easily understand it in an inflated uh, potentially exaggerated uh, desire for a high income to pay, take care of all that stuff. But 
over half a million dollars. It seems like a TikTok skit where uh, people are asking uh, young women on the street how much they expect their engagement ring to be. Yeah, I'm trying not to be like insulting any more than normal. And uh, that's just, it seems so out of touch. I, uh, a few years ago, uh, young Theodore, uh, my parents gave him some football cards or something. And he got a Patrick Mahomes card and he looked it up online. And it was worth $75. Wow. And Ted. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, he comes <laughs> running over to where we're sitting. He goes, I just looked this up. It's worth $75. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> and when I think about people being out of touch with money, I think about <laughs> Ted's excitement telling us that he's a millionaire while also saying that he's he's actually worth $75. And it, like that's what makes me think of here. Wait until he learns the uh the scam that pricing guides are so oh that's the truth what else is the news if seeing the amazon van approaching gives you a thrill because you've ordered so much that you don't remember what's coming and it's like a little surprise every time you're probably not alone last year the company delivered more packages to u.s homes than ups which it surpassed for the first time and fedex which it's beaten since 2020 amazon expects to deliver more boxes this year estimating 5.9 billion up from last year's 5.2 billion, according to Wall Street Journal. But the US Postal Service still carries the most packages in part because the OG handles hundreds of millions of parcels for UPS, FedEx, and Amazon. Yeah, this time of year, my neighborhood streets, well, they're always filled with FedEx and UPS and Amazon. Yeah. Like, and you know what time of day they come and all of that, but it is pretty wild. Like how yeah. our society in the last, I don't know, couple decades have turned into that the ubiquitous site of delivery trucks it's crazy to think that when we were kids we used to get catalogs delivered to our house to figure out what we wanted to buy and then we would go buy them at those locations now we basically look at those locations online and have them send the products to us it's completely reversed uh i feel like we've kind of touched on this idea before but have you ever felt bad based on getting really low shipping for something that's really far away and this idea, not that they put the one thing on a plane and flew it from New Zealand or something, but you know what I mean? Of like, just like the, yeah. the, the wasteful nature of I'm flying a watch band from <laughs> Auckland, New Zealand, and it costs me nothing. And it seems a little strange. I mean, that's what, you, where else are you going to get your kangaroo here? Watch bands. It was a wallaby. Oh, that's right. That's right. That wasn't a great accent. One last story. Uh, I'm going to try and squeeze through this because I think it's interesting. IBM, which decades ago helped lead the shift from defined benefit plans to defined contribution plans, recently told U.S. employees it will be scrapping its 401k match what? In, in favor of funding what it calls a, quote, retirement benefit account. Other companies may find it tricky to follow suit, experts say. Starting next year, IBM will no longer provide a 5% match and a 1% automatic contribution into the employee's 401k. Instead, effective January 1st, the company will put a 5% into the RBA, essentially a pension plan that will pay 6% interest through 2026. And after that, it will earn a rate equivalent to the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield with a 3% floor through 2033. I'm, I, I'm actually, I'm going to need some time with that story. Like, yeah. he said it to me. I, I want to see that. I hadn't seen it. Yep. I don't know what I think about that. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. Um, yeah. That's weird, right? It's, it's uh, contrarian. Yeah, it is totally different. And it, 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 the article says that it's not expected to catch on, but it is definitely a different approach. What I'm trying to figure out is, is that some sort of, what's the, what's the motivation? Is it can't, I don't think it's cost savings per se, but maybe it's retirement success and then they're paying lesser salaries. I, guess, for a I mean, time. you're going to be able to make some different decisions in your um, investment allocation based off of this, if you're getting a flat rate. So well, that's all we have this week. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. Pete the Planner Show. Sorry, dude. It's all right. I started yeah. my watch a couple seconds late and I forgot all about it. So uh, that's a weird one. I gotta, I gotta read that before I have some dumb take. I will try to find the uh, article itself and send it on. Yeah, just send what you got. I'll Google it. Uh, I'll put, I'll put it through Bing. Perfect. Um, big plans this weekend, Dame. Uh, cleaning out my barn. 
Uh, it's it's that time again. I've got to get rid of a whole bunch of stuff. That wasn't a euphemism, was it? No. No, it's literally, I've, I have a dumpster sitting outside my barn right now that I'm going to just start chucking junk into this weekend. Still no euphemisms. No, still no euphemisms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm sorry. I do have a meeting. Uh, sorry, Jeremiah. Uh, stay getting money.